Good morning, Rock Church. As we uh, enter today for the message, I want you to get your Bibles out to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, and our topic for today is uh, paradise, which uh, is also heaven. And it it turns out that uh, when we talk about hell and heaven today, that we are going to be talking about something that many churches don't talk about much anymore. And, And actually, it's been kind of going out of, uh, I guess, out of the church in general. Um, one writer said this, Hell, it would seem, has fallen on hard and lean times. It used to be that the vast majority of Christians, regardless of denominational affiliation, believed that hell was a real place where the wicked and the in- impenitent go when they died. The very thought of the pain and torment of hell was enough to scare sinners straight. It, is, it used to be that ministers of the gospel would preach on the horrors of hell to persuade uh, its uh, inhabitants to repent, but not anymore. Most American mainline and so-called evangelical uh, churches stopped preaching about hell years ago. Most mainline ministers stopped believing in hell years ago. Hell made people uncomfortable, and hell was too old-fashioned. The topic of hell was bad for the bottom line, attendance and income. Hell damaged people's self-esteem. Hell has been retained in our modern lexicon as a convenient curse word and as a metaphoric description of our worst experiences, as in war is hell. But hardly anyone today believes that the word hell corresponds to any objective reality, said Quentin Morrill. Well, hell is in the Bible, and hell is real, and it's just as real as heaven. And if you found someone that that believes in heaven, they would almost have to believe in hell because whenever Jesus taught about things, hell was actually talked about just as much as as heaven. And the reason is, is because uh, God wants us to understand that he wants a relationship with us and that uh, to reject that relationship is to say no to God. And God is not going to force his hand if we want um, our will to be done Um, He will let us go that direction, but that's not his intention. Hell was never actually uh, created for humans. It was actually created for Satan and his fallen angels. And so it is God's plan for us to have a relationship with him and to know him. And as we look at Luke 16 today, I read this, uh, we see a familiar story about a man named Lazarus. And this isn't the Lazarus that came out of the tube uh, and, and was, uh, his life was restored to him in the story that Jesus, or the, the um, Gospels, as Jesus came towards um, Jerusalem and stopped in Bethany. This is a different Lazarus that the Bible talks about in Luke 16. It says, The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted. Here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to, to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. We see in this passage uh, about 
uh, this man named Lazarus and also a beggar, there is uh, an ultimate destiny. And uh, there is a, a sense in which this man Lazarus has second thoughts. He is uh, uh, he's realizing that the way he lived his life was, was wrong and actually was having uh, some second thoughts and actually wanting to reach back and to be able to communicate with the people who he loved that they wouldn't also come to this place. Uh, some of the key phrases in this uh, section is, he is comforted here, and that's just a, an indication that, that heaven is going to be a place of comfort. There's going to be fellowship and relationship, and it's, there's going to be no pain or suffering in heaven. And, and in the contrast to that, you see this man who has lived his life, obviously, for himself, rejected God and, and God's uh, invitation to him, and he is living in agony, and this place is a place of misery that he has to put up with. And he says, I am tormented in this flame. And other translations say fire. And we realize that there's, this, there's also in other translations, Matthew talks about the fact that it's outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you think being isolated in COVID is terrible, imagine being isolated for eternity and you are in fire. You are, there's this weeping and gnashing of teeth and hell is just this awful, awful place, void of God's goodness and a void of God's comfort and his love and the things that we would sometimes think of this world as having that God has given to us, uh, hell has not. And uh, it will be void of those things that we so, so desire. And as we look at this, this section here, we realize that when John wrote his revelations, his gospel, that, the, the book that actually tells us about the end times, uh, we recognize that John could only use figurative language because whatever the Holy Spirit gave to him was such a vision that was indescribable. And he says that uh, I cannot see or ear cannot hear. Um, he recognizes that these things. And so hell is worse than he can, you can put a pen to, and heaven is more wonderful than you can put pen to. Both are very, very much different. And as we look at this passage today, we recognize that we have... Uh, we have a struggle between those. So in verse 25, it says that, Son, remember, and this idea that there is a remembrance that this man could remember what was what things that he actually left on earth kind of undone. And so he had his, his brothers who he wished that someone would go and speak to them and, and to reach out to them to make sure that they would understand how it is that, that he came to this place. And so you can j even just try to think, can you imagine what it would be like uh, missing the greatest opportunity possible to, to, to know God and to have an opportunity to be in heaven with him and knowing that you'd made decisions. And we all have decisions in the past that we wish we could do over. We call them do-overs. And, and that's just not going to happen for this man. And he recognizes it. And when he recognizes that, that this is permanent, where he's at, he wants his brothers to not come to this place as well. And it is a torment for him to have. And in the, the scripture that we look at, Revelations 21, I'm going to read some verses. And those verses are going to be describing where we will eventually spend eternity. And so there's a place called Sheol, and that place has a place of, of torment where, where Lazarus went, and there's also a place of, of paradise where uh, Abraham's bosom is really a description of paradise. 
And then if there's, at some point in time, this earth is going to be taken away. God is going to destroy this one and replace it with a brand new earth. And in Revelations 21, it speaks of this new Jerusalem. And we are going to go into this new Jerusalem and be, uh, be with God there forever. One of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of twelve tribes of Israel, there were three gates on the east, three in the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide as the high, and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall use, using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as the pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, and the fifth onyx the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, the tenth was turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of, a, made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure, as transparent, as glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gate ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river, the water, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down in the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will be there any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve, will serve him they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will, there will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This idea in Revelations 21 and 22 is this picture of a new Jerusalem, and it's a picture of where we're going to exist uh, in eternity as we look to heaven and what we see is this unimaginable beauty, and John describes something that he can't actually put words to. 
And so we see this garden, and what we really see is Eden restored. And as Adam and Eve sinned, and they were banished from the garden, uh, there was this understanding that God was going to redeem mankind, that he was going to redeem you and I uh, as Adam and Eve, and that that uh, redemption would include his restoration of Eden. And this description in Revelations is us going back into God's new Jerusalem, uh, into Eden, describing this kind of fruit that comes from these trees and this river of life that flows under the throne, and it's got the water of life in it. And we see streets of translucent gold. Not, there's no impurities whatsoever in, the, in them. And these, these gates of pearl. And we see all of these wonderful things that are unimaginable for us to see. And at the same time, God describes, us, describes it to us so that we might look forward to what he has for us. Well, as we look at Genesis and we look at Revelations, what we really see is Revelations is a completion of Genesis, in particular in these passages, it talks about the heavens and the earth being created in Genesis and Revelations. There's a new heaven and new earth. The sun is created. In, in Revelations, there's no need for the sun. There's night. There's no night in heaven. So there's differences that are there, but there's also similarities and completion. The seas are created in in heaven. No more seas. The curse was announced that they would have these curses that you will have to till the earth and childbirth and all these things that were curses there. There are no more curses. There are no more uh, of those things that they have to do because of the sin. Death entered history and now there will be no more death. Nothing will die in heaven. And as we look forward to that time, we just recognize that God has something better for us. Man who was driven from paradise or from Eden, and now man is restored to paradise. And we see this Abraham's bosom, this picture of restoration that, that, we, that we get to look forward to. That there's sorrow and pain began when, the, when they were banished from the garden, and now there's no more tears, there's no more pain. There's only the, the joy of being in eternity in God's uh, presence. We look at uh, God's description of what uh, happens when our end of, the end of our life comes. And there's this thing, something called the book of life, which many of you have heard before. In Revelation 20, it says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. The death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so we see this book of life, which is really a book that, is, that contains the names of the people who have a relationship with Jesus who have a personal relationship with Jesus, who have come to a point in time in their life where they have surrendered their life to Jesus and their eternity. They have given up trying to work their way into heaven or do all of these good things with the purpose of trying to earn their way into heaven. They've given up on all of that. And they've realized that God has made it so clear and that, that, that his son has paid the penalty for their sin and that relationship with Jesus as they walk on this earth with him and into eternity is really just a consummation and written down in this book of the people who will be with God forever and ever. 
And those who reject God uh, because uh, they don't say thy will be done and they say my will be done, God will give them their wish. It's not his, it's not his will to do that, but he won't force their hand and they will end up in Hades and then into the lake of fire, eventually the second death. It says in Luke 10, 20, However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And we see the apostles who are just amazed at the fact that they can do these awesome miracles, and they're just like, whoa, this is the absolute pinnacle of our ministry. And what it says here is Jesus just says to them, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Because if your name is written in the book, you have so, so much. Your inheritance is immeasurable. And we recognize that God has this book, and it's a book of his children. It's really the ancestry of, of Abraham in lots of ways, that he would have so many descendants who, like Abraham, would express faith, faith that God would provide a way, uh, that he would save us that way. We have this review of a saint's life. So a lot of people ask me, well, what happens when you die? And there is this process by which we, we go into the presence of the Lord, and we are, and if we are in the book of life, what we do is we go into his paradise, and it is awesome. And it, there is a point in time during that that we have this review of our life. And so in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says that, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him. For the things well done in the body, whether good or bad, and whether, when it says this, this is the judgment seat of Christ, otherwise known as the bema seat of Christ, what it's really measuring is, 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 did you sacrifice and do things for the right reasons? Did you do them for Jesus? And this isn't, these aren't the things that are going to earn you into heaven because you wouldn't even be in this evaluation or this judgment seat if, if you weren't written in the book first. That has everything to do with faith and trust and grace and nothing to do with works whatsoever. But if you are in the book and you do have a personal relationship with Christ, when you enter into that, we will be, we will be commended and rewarded for our faithfulness. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5.10 is speaking of, is that what we do is either going to have value or it's going to have, an, when, it says, uh, when it says whether good or bad, bad is really just nothing. It, it's worthless. It, doesn't, it was a waste of time. It was a bad investment. Revelations 19.7 says the marriage feast of the Lamb, and it's all about this process by which God has this feast with us, and, and that Jesus is there, and we are, we, are, uh, we are in his presence. It says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb, Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And as we are making ourselves ready to someday to actually be in Jesus' presence, that refining process that goes uh, throughout our whole life has become more and more like him and his bride is a process by which we actually are storing up for ourselves treasure that we will hopefully at some point in time be able to cast at his feet and, um, in, in the, at this marriage feast. But there's more in, our, in this. There's this time of reward that Matthew talks about. It says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. This is Jesus speaking in the Gospel of Matthew. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they will persecute you just like the prophets before. And there is a reward for us as we go through life as a Christian. And because of the fact that we're associated with Jesus and because of the fact that we have this relationship with him, there will be persecution. There will be times when we're persecuted 
just because of the fact that we have a relationship with them. Um, whether it's scoffing or someone kind of making fun of us or, or maybe some of the things that we're uh, experiencing even in just our, our work life or the uh, social circles, um, political things, etc. Matthew goes on, But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here what, uh, what Jesus is saying is that he actually wants us to invest our lives into sacrificial things that, are, that have value for eternity. Th- that there is this, some kind of a safe deposit box in, in heaven and God is just this awesome accountant. He's like, I saw my kid do it. Boom, I'm just going to... And he gets joy seeing us serve him and serving others as we're serving him. And every time that we are doing that, when we, when we have a cold cup of water for the least of these, God says, I remember that. Uh, there's a commendation coming. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And so he has, actually encourages us this, to store up treasures. It's the craziest thing that he would first allow us to enter in on his grace, that, that we can't earn it in any way. And so we're in this amazing paradise in heaven. And then in, on, the, on the other hand, he's saying, you know what? Not only do you get to be here, but I'm going to commend you for living the way you did while you were down on earth because you were co-commissioners. You were on mission with me. There's going to be joy in Luke 15, 7. Uh, he says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And what Jesus is saying here is that we're, when we're in heaven, and if we go before, uh, say, our kids or other people who, on earth, we will have a joy, a sense of joy when people come to the Lord, that, that it's going to be a place of rejoicing, that we will almost be like spectators in that way. Revelations 12, 12 says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you, you who dwell in them, that it will be a place of joy and rejoicing that being in eternity is going to be an awesome, awesome experience. What will we do there? So what do we do in heaven? I have a lot of people who say, I hope we're going to golf, I hope we're going to do this, whatever their favorite thing is to do. Randy Elkhorn uh, wrote this, Make no mistake, one of Satan's favorite tactics is feeding us an unworthy, dull, and distorted view of heaven an unworthy, dull, and distorted view of heaven. And why would Satan want to make it seem less than it is? Well, it's kind of like some of the people that I've talked to who, have, who see a lot of people moving to Sheridan, and, and they're like, man, all these people are hearing all the good things about Sheridan. We need to stop talking about it. We need to talk about it negative. How, we need to talk about how cold it is and how horrible it is, how hot it gets in the summer, 105 in the summer. And so we can really kind of distract or at least prohibit people from coming here. And that's really the same strategy that Satan would want to do with heaven because it is a really awesome place. And so Randy goes on, he says, and he knows we'll lack motivation to tell others about Jesus when our view of heaven isn't that much better than our concept of hell. And so it's a challenge for us to to even look at this this morning. And part of the reason why I wanted to look at this was to, to really focus on where we're going and what it's going to be like because when we can see the, the end, the, the finish line, the prize, more clearly, it will affect how motivated we are now and how we live our lives. And how we live our lives does count. 
And what Randy Alcorn is saying is Satan will do anything to make us value this world more or make hell seem like a not-so-bad place to be so that we're not motivated to not only pursue our relationship with God, but also to bring as many people into that relationship with God as we share what he did for us in our lives and that they might also enjoy that same relationship. First Corinthians 7, 29 through 31 encourages us to make the most of our time because the time is short. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. And as we read Revelations 21 and 22, we see there's a new Jerusalem. There is a new heaven and earth. The old is gone, the new has come. Everything that exists here and now, other than people, God's word, and obviously God himself, will be completely wiped off the map and start over. And so there's this idea that what we have most right now is time. We all have the same amount of time. 24 hours in a day, 168 in a week. And we recognize that that time is one of the, the treasures, one of the talents that we're given, one of those things that is so valuable because our time is diminishing every single day. And so we are to make the most of our time because we will spend eternity in, in, this, in a place that's so awesome. But what we do here and now has implications and ramifications on God's kingdom and he wants us to be good stewards of what he gave us, which is time, treasure, and talents. Um, if we have a focus, and a, a lot of times when a runner is running or, or someone is competing, they really, you can see that they're focused. A gymnast, they have a focus. And if we have a focus that is on eternity and in heaven, we recognize that our, that eternal perspective will have an effect on how we view and what we invest our time in, what we put, we put as our priorities in life. And as we recognize that we have time, treasure, and talents kind of at our disposal, and how are we going to use each one of those things, um, we recognize that um, our, the way that we do things here and now will have an effect on our eternity as God commends us for being sacrificial with our time. Are we serving? Are we serving him? Are we spending time with him? Are we getting to know him so that we can produce fruit, that the fruits of the Spirit would be evident in our lives to others and that that would allow them to see a picture of God and that that would actually allow them possibly to enter into a conversation or be a, uh, kind of in, in find an invitation to, to come to know him? And are we spending our resources on those things that, would, that, he, would be a, that he would approve of? And those things that are so important to us, recognizing that we have to prioritize every th single thing that God gives us. Romans 8 says this, Heaven is an incomparable place. As we compare it to earth, it is incomparable. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What we recognize, very difficult times to live in. And as we're uh, online and, and obviously doing church a little different, we recognize that things are just kind of diff difficult right now. And people are isolating and 
COVID is, is on the rise, and we see all these problems around us, and we, we look overseas, and we see fighting and wars, and, and things are just kind of in turmoil, and you recognize that, wow, this world has a lot of problems. It really does. And what God assures us of in Romans 8 is that we are co-heirs with Christ, and that we get to look forward to something where there will be no war. There will be no sickness. COVID won't exist. There won't be anything that disturbs us. We won't, have a, we won't have a news channel, and if anything was on a news channel, it would all be good. It wouldn't be the stuff that kind of grabs people's attention and, and, and makes them upset in lots of ways. And so heaven is an incomparable uh, thing that we get to look forward to compared to what we have here on earth. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And we get to look forward to something that is so amazing. Sometimes we get a little bit twisted about how valuable things are here. And we can kind of just want to hang on to them so much. And it's so silly because what we get to look forward to is so much more valuable. There's a story of a Sunday school teacher. She told her class of second graders the story found in Luke 16 that I read earlier about the rich man and Lazarus, and how that when they were upon their earth, uh, the rich man had everything that the money could buy, and poor Lazarus had to beg for mere crumbs. But when they died, the rich man, due to his selfishness, went to a place of horrible torment, while Lazarus went into a place of paradise. In conclusion, the teacher asked her students the question: this question, now, which man would you rather be, Lazarus or the rich man? It's a really good question to ask. Which would you rather be? Would you rather be comforted here and live for the things of today? Or whether you, rather would you live your life in a way that your comfort would be later, but would last forever and ever and ever? It's kind of like the study that they did with the, the little kids with the marshmallows, and they told them if you you here's the marshmallow and they set it in front of the kid and of course five minutes is an eternity if you don't eat the marshmallow you're going to get more you're going to get two or more than that and it's really a test and kind of in just you know just the ability for the kid to have self-control and in the same way it's that same sort of thing well as you would imagine in this story one little boy's hand shot up immediately and said well while i'm alive i want to live like the rich men but when i die I want to live like Lazarus, but we don't get the choice. We don't get the choice. God gives us comforts here on earth, and knowing him is, is a wonderful thing. But living like the one person who is devoid of God and wanting to, not wanting to pursue him is really just choosing their way to a place where God will give him his, his wishes. And if someone doesn't want to live with God in their life, he won't force that issue. So how do we get there? How do we get to heaven? How do we get to paradise? How do we end up where this beggar ended up in comfort and with uh, on Abraham's side and and in paradise? Well, in John 14, 6, it's very, very clear, but exclusive. And Jesus is exclusive on purpose because he wants to be very, very succinct and clear on his answer to how someone can be assured that they will end up uh, in paradise with with Jesus. He answered them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he wrote in John, in 1 John 5, 13, John writes this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, 
so that you may know that you, that you have eternal life. God doesn't want us to, to live our lives and wonder whether at some point in time we're going to, when we die, we're going to go to heaven. It's like, it's like it, when, I was, when I was 18 years old, if you would ask me, it's like a 50-50 thing. I don't know if I die, if I'll go to heaven or not. It's because I didn't know God's word. And what God's word clearly says is this, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to, to the Father th- except through Jesus because Jesus is the one who God chose to pay the penalty for my sin. And that John writes that, that I can be sure of the fact that I know Jesus and that I will be in heaven because of the fact that God has made it very clear to us through his word. Well, there's something greater and something worse than going to heaven and going to hell. There's something greater than going to heaven, and there's something worse than going to hell. And you think, what could be greater than going to heaven, and what could be worse than going to hell? And if you think about it for just a little bit, and you think about that man named Lazarus, when he was in hell, one of the things that he wanted someone to do was to do what? To go back and tell who? His brothers. Now, I don't know what happened. We don't get the backstory, but could it be that he lived in such a way that maybe led his, his brothers down the same trail that he was going, and then he, that he had this recognition that, oh my, I might, I might have kind of derailed their lives, and maybe they're going to end up here because of me, the way that I lived my life, the way that I, that I didn't pursue God and said no to God. And there's something greater than heaven, and that's this to bring as many people by the Holy Spirit's fruit in our life and the way that we live our lives, looking expectantly to a future that is so amazing and telling everybody about it, that it would change our lives in such a way that people would want to know the God that we believe in, that would actually be better than just going to heaven, knowing that others would follow us as well. And that's the challenge I leave you today, is that you would live in such a way that you would take someone with you to heaven. And if you are living in a way that is, and you're, you're trying to figure out who God is and what he's all about, I just encourage you, boy, you just need to realize that this is so important because eternity rests on that. And if you're a parent or if you're discipling someone because you're discipling someone when they're following you, and you're living in a way that is not honoring to God and is not leading other people towards him, you just really need to think about the fact that that has such consequences. We want to be people who are leading others. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And there's just kind of this big train of people who are looking towards Jesus, but encourage, be encouraged by other people who are ahead of them because of the way they're living. If he, can, if he can put up with that, I can put up with that. If she can put up with that, I can put up with that. Or if, if he has that kind of joy, I can have that kind of joy. If he can read his, God's word in the morning, I, maybe that's the source of his, his joy. I can do that as well. And that's the challenge that we have, that we would live in a way that would bring more and more people to know Jesus and have the everlasting, awesome, eternal life in heaven that we get to look forward to. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this passage in Luke 16 that talks about the fact that, that there are two paths. And one path leads to hell, which is a real place. And so many people just need to know that. And, and Lord, that, that there is also uh, an eternity that is, is just an absolute 
awesome place to go, that we would go to paradise, that we would go to heaven and be with you, and that we might live in a way that would be honoring to you and that would draw people towards you and that would be uh, just a, a change factor in the way that someone else pursues you by looking at our lives. And Father, I just pray as, we, as we're uh, closing this time that we would be, each one of us, thinking about two or three people that we would like to affect, that we would start praying for them, that we would, uh, we would make it a conscious effort to, to really lead them in a spiritual way, that they may also come to the place that we are going. And we just thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who, who died for us and made this even possible, that we have this inheritance, that we are co-heirs with, with, the, with the richest person in, in the whole world that we would spend eternity with them. We just thank you so much for this time and for the fact that we get to look forward to what we get to look forward to. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.